the last words of King David. But then it also tells us just a little bit about some of his mighty men. These men were outcasts, rejects, men who others didn't see much value in. But David was obviously an amazing leader and an incredible military mind because he believed in people, brought out the best in them. And whether it was his best friend, Jonathan, the son of King Saul, or if it was these men who ran from cave to cave to cave to cave, just running around with him, hiding out, they were loyal to him. And in the 23rd chapter of 2 Samuel, we find one particular story about a man named Shammah. Now, Shammah in 2 Samuel 23, 11, it says, Next in rank was Shammah, son of Aji from Harar. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. I want to preach this morning on this topic. Hold your ground. Hold your ground. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the blood that we just sang about. Thank you for the healing and the virtue and the things that we just, we just prayed for needs. And I'm just believing that you're already at work in those needs. And God, I'm so thankful that whether we're worshiping in this facility by ourselves, a facility here, sharing it with someone else, building a different facility, you are the same God who steps into any situation and your power and presence and anointing, it's the same. And God, we're so thankful, Jesus, for what you have done, what you're doing, what you're getting ready to do in and through this church. But Lord, anoint me today and let our hearts and minds be open. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said... And everyone said, yes. all right, hold your ground. Well, let's really stop and consider these two verses, okay? Israel's arch nemesis, Philistia, they, they, these people were known as the Philistines. They, they had been bugging the Israelites a long time, before they even, even before they sent out a, a giant named Goliath to go and terrorize the people until David finally came out with five spoon stones and a slingshot. Even before that, they were terrorizing God's people. And so 2 Samuel records a list of incredible and almost unbelievable feats by David's mighty men. Like when you read through the list, you're like, they tore city gate, they got a cup of water, they did what? They, like the, the numbers, it's like a comic book. You're just like, this isn't even humanly possible, which I would agree it's not. God's power and authority would rest upon them to accomplish these amazing feats. But in one, we read about this man, Shammah, and he's, he's willing to risk his life to defend a field of lentils. Do you know what lentils are? Lentils are basically seeds from a family of plants that also includes peanuts and chickpeas and lentils are grouped with beans and peas because they grow in pods and so am I understanding this correctly that this dude was willing to die over a hill of beans <laughs> the phrase hill of beans started being cited in the 1800s when when corn had better market value it quickly became a negative phrase. That doesn't amount to a hill of beans. 
But obviously, Shammah, he felt differently. And so, Scripture tells us that the Philistines attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. So, here they come. The, the battle's on. They're in the field full of lentils. And the Bible tells us the entire Israelite army fled. It's like some things just never seem to change, you know. Goliath was out there, send me a man, send me a man, send me a man. And they're all hiding out till David finally steps up and he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that y'all letting talk to you like this? And, and here we have Shammah, that's that one person that steps up and says, hey, what's going on here? Y'all are leaving and taking off and fleeing, and I ain't going to let it happen. And so the Israelite army hears the battle. They're in the field of lentils, and, 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 he, and, and the whole army, can you imagine yourself if all your buddies in the army are there, and you're all ready to fight, and all of a sudden you go, here they come. Here they come. They're getting closer. Hold your line. Hey. Hey. And then, you know, you have this like, well, it's, it's, it, it's only a hill of beans. It's, a, it's only a hill of beans. No, no, he says, no, obviously Shammah, he felt differently. Scripture tells us they attacked. The entire Israelite army ran for their lives, and it appears they did not care two iotas about a field of lentils. But verse 12 starts with some incredibly powerful words when in verse 12 it says, but Shammah held his ground. You know, we don't think much about that. We just read on. Even when I started my text, maybe you didn't even catch that. You know, we're just reading the story. But in the middle of when his whole army took off, it says Shammah held his ground. Something inside Shammah knew something. Unless he knew, unless I stand up, and resist the enemy. It is only a matter of time before that enemy comes back for more. You see, because if a child of God, in his mind, it's probably more like if a child of God gives up this lentil field without a fight, what is the child of God willing to give up the next time the enemy shows up? Because I know for you, it's just, that's a hill of beans. Ain't, ain't worth a hill of beans. It's just a hill of beans. I ain't risking my life for a hill of beans. But it's more than a hill of beans. Shammah said, no, because I'm standing in a hill of beans, but next week, it might be a whole city. Next week, it might be my home. The week after, it might be my family. And so for me, I'm going to stand here and fight. According to the Torah, the, the Lord owned the promised land and the Israelites were the caretakers, its tenants. So thus to them to defend the land was to take a stand on behalf of the Lord himself. So they said, it's just a hit, ain't worth a hill of beans, I'm out of here. But Shammah said, no, I've been called, this is the promised land. And if I'm standing on the promised land, and I'm called by God to be a tenant of the promised land, then it's my responsibility to fight for the promises of God. You see, 
Through his valor, the Lord, he, he, Shammah, he was expressing a deep level of faith in God's promises regarding the promised land. That's why it says Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field. He beat back the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. Could you imagine an entire battalion rising up? Your team just left, and you're there by yourself. There's probably in your mind, you're like, you know what? I'm going to die on this field, but at least the enemy's going to think twice before they come to it attack us again. See, the Lord honored Shammah's faith, though. And with the result, he struck the, the Philistines down in a way that it's recorded in 2 Samuel because there's no way one person should have been able to take on a battle, take on an army like that. But, but here's the thing about God. God never cares about the odds. You see, through Shammah's sword, he slew the enemy, but it was actually the Lord who brought about a great, understand, a great, a great victory. You understand, for Shammah, it was more than the lentil field. Remember God's promises to Moses and the Israelites many years earlier. God says, I'm going to give you a promised land. He did just that. And now here the Israelites are living in this land of promise. This is what God promised to them, not just to them, but he said, this land of promise, who was it for? It was for your children, your children's children, future generations. I'm giving you and your lineage this land. And so he said, this, this, this land of promise was not just a lentil field. It was the enemy trying to take something of that God gave not only me, but he gave it to my children. He gave it to my children's children. And so for Shammah, it was not just about the enemy taking a lentil field. It was about the enemy belittling and stealing the promises of God. Shammah knew the enemy's never satisfied with what he already has. It's not like you can negotiate with the devil and the devil says, you know what, I'd really like this. And you say, I know, but I, but I, I kind of wanted to keep this. And he's, but I'm going to come after you. And, and you say, all right, fine, 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 fine. You can have that one thing. And the devil says, thank you. Now let's shake hands and you're good. And he never bothers you again. No, no, no. The enemy does not negotiate. The Bible says the devil is a, as a roaring lion. He's seeking to kill and to destroy. The enemy wants to see you, your marriage destroyed, your children's lives destroyed. He wants to see the church destroyed. And so when the church says, yeah, but that's just a lentil field, I'll fight for the bigger things, but that's not worth the battle. You see, Shammah knew the battle was now or never. It's kind of like that bully in school. You ever deal with a bully in school? Anybody ever deal with a bully in school? It's easier to deal, I'm assuming, with a bully in school yourself than have to have your kids deal with a bully in school. You know, my kids, they're homeschooled, but they're, homeschooled, but they're in situations at times where I heard about something or something would get back to me. Now, I'm trying to have that, navigate that conversation. Everybody parents differently. So some of you are going to be like, amen, and others of you are like, you are terrible. You parent your kids, I'll parent mine. But I'll tell my kids, you better not start no fight. If I hear you're starting fights, you're in trouble. But if a kid comes start slapping you in the back of the head and tripping you and punching you, knock them out. <laughs> because it ain't never going to stop until you do that. Now, I know some of you, you pray about how you need a parent. 
But Titus, I'm trying to say, dude, you need to chill. I don't need to teach him that. Each, each child has a different personality type, right? But a bully never stops. You know, you start kicking feet together and slapping people in the back of the head. And as long as you, as long as you take and let people slam you into lockers and stuff, really it doesn't stop until you go, this ain't going down today anymore. Say what? <laughs> because at some point, here's the line. Stop crossing the line into my personal space. And you do it again, and I might die trying, but you ain't gonna, I'm not going to, today's not your day anymore. Because at some point, and, and I think sometimes we do this spiritually, you know, we get pushed around by the devil and we're leaning against the lockers like, I wish he would leave me alone. At some point, you need to start to start, stand up and be like, bro, I don't know who you think you're messing with. Not only am I, I'm, I'm literally a child of the king of the world. He put his own spirit inside me. I, I can literally whisper a prayer, and the God of heaven and earth is, is listening to my every word. I have access to, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are not going to take my rental field. God forbid the day arrives when the church is no longer willing to fight for their own home. Israelite army, it's just a lentil field. Shammah said, no, no, no. This is the promised land. This is what God gave to me, to my kids. They ain't gonna, if I die today, then I die. But I refuse to walk away from what God gave me and what God gave my kids and let the enemy have it because I'm afraid to fight. And so he said, Today is not going to be the day. Like that, uh, that hill song, so I tell the devil, not, not today. No, not ever again. Like that needs to be the cry of the church. Like you thought, okay, maybe, you, maybe, I, I, maybe I let you slam me into the lockers last week. But it's done. Like it will never happen again. Church needs some fight. The enemy has been trying to steal your joy. To take your children, to destroy your marriage, to depress you, discourage you, to question your value, to doubt your place in the church, to think about returning to the old life. And the church, at times the battle gets a little intense and the seem, enemy seems to have you surrounded and you feel very much alone at times. Like, I thought we were going to battle this together. And when they got close, I was surrounded by the enemy and looked for my God behind me. Whoa. And I was standing there all alone. Yeah, because even sometimes as a child of God, you can be in the church and everybody should have your back. But there's times where you still get to the point where there's some battles you fight alone. And in those moments, you don't give up. You look around and go, all right, Lord, I ain't got nobody around me right now. But if you promised this to me and you gave me this, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight and believe that the outcome is in your hands anyway. The odds are against me, certainly. Things aren't looking good right now. 
But that's the thing. Sometimes we look at the way our kids are acting, where we, our marriage is going. We look at the finances. We're like, man, this, this is not looking good right now. But I refuse to stop. I refuse to quit. I refuse to give in. I'm just going to keep swinging that sword. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep doing whatever I need to do to stay standing. Because if God gave me this promise, then I'm going to stand on this promise and defend it and fight for it as long as I need to. You see, at times it gets intense and you feel like quitting. Is it even worth it? Is this an issue worth fighting for? Does the method of baptism really matter? Is it that big of a deal? Is speaking in tongues really that big of a deal? Is, is it, it's, I mean, it's just a skirt. It's, is my hair is that really that important? Times have changed. Shouldn't we change too? Virginity isn't as big of a deal as it used to be. It's just an online video. This is what even the church is doing in this day and age to justify. It's just a hill of beans. Certainly, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't do that. No, no, not, not that one. But that, I mean, come on. You're putting a, a little thing with the big thing. I wouldn't do the big thing, but the little thing, that's not that huge of a deal. You think it's worth fighting over? Giving things up doesn't start with Acts 2.38. It starts with smaller things like a prayer meeting. You don't just walk up and you believe the doctrinal message and you see you wake up tomorrow and you're like, you know what, I'm done with the doctrinal message. No, it starts with, oh, there's a, there's a playoff game. I'm going to skip the prayer meeting. It's just a prayer meeting. I don't need to pray. I can miss a prayer meeting. It's one prayer meeting. It's not that big of a deal. And in the meantime, the devil sits back and goes, keep giving me stuff. Keep giving me stuff. Because guess what? Guess what, Luke? Come here. You let the devil push you once. The devil's going to keep pushing you. <laughs> that's, that's a thought that should enter your mind. I'm sick of getting pushed around. Because as long as the devil just eats you, keeps pushing you around. It's not worth it. Is it worth it? I mean, the front row is the second row. It's not that big of a deal. But you know what the devil keeps doing? Third row. It's not, I, I still can see. I mean, I'm really, and then it's the fourth row. And that's what the devil keeps doing. <laughs> because at some point, you got to push back and be like, all right, I'm done. Go ahead, push your pastor. Come on. At some point, we got to say, but you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't start with the big stuff. It just starts with the little stuff. It's just a hill of beans. It's not like I'm trying to come in and take your children. Not yet. Not yet. A prayer meeting. Okay, Pastor, so I missed a prayer meeting. Now I'm backslid. No. But when you give up certain things without a fight, it's just a matter of time. If I get used to not fighting for the little things, it's just a matter of time, and I'm not really willing to fight for the bigger things. And before you know it, you know, I just, I know we push baptism all the time, but I don't, is the method really that important? I mean, like, as long as somebody has kind of, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I know scripture says that, but, and then it goes to, is baptism itself even necessary? I think sometimes it's just a kind of a typological thing. I don't think somebody really has to do anything with water. I mean, 
to the point where, you know, I don't even think a savior. I mean, like, I know as long as you believe in a higher form of being, I think everybody's all right as long as we believe that there's a God up there that loves you. It starts. And I wish I could tell you that I'm just kind of hypothesizing about this, but I've personally watched people walk this path. I've personally communicated with people who walked down this road. See, Romans 6, 15 says, well, then since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we just go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. Notice everything we believed is centered on what we obey. You can sit here today and say, well, I believe in tithing. If you don't tithe, that's not obedience. Oh, I believe in praying, but if you don't pray, that's not obedience. I believe in fasting. You don't fast, that's, that's, that's not obedience. And so our lives, our actions will, will prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. And so our choices and our actions, do they align with the word of God? And so the enemy will try to get you to question the small things. It's easy to convince yourself to skip one service. It's just, again, one playoff game to only give God tips throughout the year instead of a tithe. Because if I make $50,000 in a year and I give God 1000 I gave him a tip. You're outside the will of God. The church just wants my money. I don't need your money. This is the promises of God. This is scripture. This is the word of God. I want your life to be blessed. And if you don't align with God's principles, your life cannot be blessed. Yeah, but I'm a believer. I just don't pray. What? I love my wife. We just never talk. <laughs> what? There's probably days she would like that. Small groups on a weekday right after you work. It's, I'm tired. It's, it's easy to justify the small things. There's a battle for some things in your life. And I'm making this personal because there's a battle for some of us right here today or watching online. There is a battle for some things in your life. Things that others might say, it's, it's not worth the hill of beans, man. That's not that big of a deal. There might be people in your life who say, that doesn't really matter. You think that that's so important, but hear me, they do matter. They do matter. It might not be worth a hill of beans to others, but to the child of God, it represents a promise of God. It's more than a piece of land with a hill of beans. It's a promise. It's a consecration. It's a child of God saying, I will die on this piece of land because I believe in it, because God gave it to me. And there might be times where I feel like I stand alone and nobody's with me, but I refuse. I don't care how many people are leaving, how many people are letting that go, how many people no longer think it's a big deal. I will die on this piece of land because God gave it to me and I'm consecrated unto him. 
child of God looks at the battle and knows that without a fight, the enemy is going to return and try to take more the next time. So the child of God stands up and says, I don't care if I stand on this field alone. I am either going to die trying or I'm going to taste victory. And when a child of God stands strong and fights for the things of God, God never pays attention to the odds because he never lets them fight alone anyway. We must never compromise, not even a little bit. I'm doing my best most of the time. That doesn't fit for the kingdom of God. God does not expect you to be perfect. But there should never be a time where we say, I've just kind of checked out. I've just accepted that this is who I am. I'm doing my, I, I, most of the time, that doesn't work. I've, I think I've shared this in the pulpit before, but what, what would, listen to what you'd get if 99% were good enough. You'd have no phone service for 15 minutes a day. It's 99%, right? Well, we'd be good enough. Y'all be losing your minds. 1.7 million pieces of mail would be lost every day. 35,000 newborn babies would be dropped by doctors and nurses every year. I don't know. I don't think that Professor Condren would teach that in labor and delivery class. You know, we just were shooting for 99%. As long as we just, 35,000 are going to get dropped. We, we know that's fine. But she would get fired quickly. 200,000 people would be getting wrong drug prescriptions every year. Contaminated drinking water for every American three days a year. Hey, I'm shooting for 99%. No. The child of God says, I know everybody says it's not a big deal. It's 1%. It's one lentil field. It's No. I have been blood-bought spirit-filled, redeemed, and I'm consecrated to God. See, I know very few people who would set out to compromise. i watching online here today. How many of you are out with compromise? There's not a lot of people that'd be like, I'm fine. My goal is to make it here. Eh, there's four or five services a month. I'm trying to hit one. No, it's just that on the Sundays we don't come, there's justification in our mind that makes the battle worth not fighting. Work, tired, fatigued. We can justify things. So we don't say, well, I'm staying home because I'm willing to accept less and I don't hold high standards for myself. Nobody says that. We have good reasons for why in our brains we don't do something. A lot of it's impatience. We look around and wonder where God's promises are. You know, talk about tithe. I tithe last Sunday. Still hadn't got a blessing. I came to the altar last Sunday. Didn't feel that this week was hard, so I'm not going back. What? And so we have to, a lot of believers think God should not have let the battle happen in the first place. It's another one that happens. Poor guy. Everyone left, he's standing there and he's fighting everybody by himself. Why would God even let him go through that? Well, because God's going to let you go through some battles so that we have some stories like 2 Samuel 
where there's some stories of victory in the church where the battle took place and the odds were against him, but God showed himself strong. And so if the people of God don't go through some battles, there's not going to be stories of victory. You see, if we're not careful, though, the lentil field next time it's something else. And eventually it gets to the point where the enemy just walks in and takes over what used to be our home. And for some of us, I think the enemy's already been trying to take a couple things. And that's why way back in the book of Genesis, God said, Cain, if thou doest well, wilt thou not be accepted? If not, sin is lying at your door. Because since the beginning of time, sin and the enemy has wanted to reside in your home. Sometimes we walk into a service, God, I pray your anointing would rest upon this sanctuary. God, that, that the power of God would be here today. And we pray for the service. But we don't cover our homes the same way. And so all we have is an anointed building that's ready for God to operate. But then people who live in their homes without prayer and with lawlessness and sin walk into a consecrated building. But it doesn't mean much in some cases because the home is not consecrated. Because at some point the enemy, we said, that's not a big deal. That's not a huge thing. Yeah, but I got to wake up early. But fasting is not fun. Yeah. But do you know what I could do with that tithe? Yeah. Yeah, but ministry, you know, a small group that takes another time. And then if I teach a Bible study, I'm going to go, yeah. But when I do everything wholeheartedly as unto the Lord, there's something in my life that says, God, you've called me for this purpose. You've set me apart. You've sanctified me. I didn't, I didn't earn this promised land to begin with. You gave me the promised land. So for me, I'm grateful for the gift of the promise that you've bestowed upon me. So I'm willing to fight for this promise. I'm willing to fight because of this consecration, because of this life that I've chosen to live. Church, holiness matters. Oneness of God matters. Spirit infilling with the evidence of speaking in the other tongues. That matters. Water baptism in Jesus' name. That matters. Separation and consecration from this world. That matters. Take a stand. Fight for what you believe in. Don't let the enemy tell you it's just a small thing. It's not worth it. Yeah, but society this and people this. And I know they did. That's not what I'm fighting for. I've been given a promise. I stand on a consecrated piece of ground. And I say, God, you gave me this. You blessed this. And you called me and my family and multiple generations to live and walk this way. I refuse to not say or to say, oh, that's not worth it. Or that's not really a battle I want to take on. I just don't think that that's a huge issue. The enemy is never going to stop with small things. He will be back for more. I want to close with a story today. You may have already heard this. It's circulating social media. It is a true story. How many know what this is? Home play. Hopefully they've gotten better, but our men's softball team, we didn't see it very much.
26 years ago this month, January 96, more than 4,000 baseball coaches descended upon the Opryland Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee for the 52nd Annual American Baseball Coaches Association, ABCA Convention. And one coach wrote this about his experience that year. He said, I waited in line to register with the hotel staff. I heard other veteran coaches rumbling about the lineup of speakers scheduled to present during the weekend. One name just kept resurfacing, always with the same sentiment. John, John Scalinas is here. John Scalinas is here. And, oh, man, every, every penny worth of airfare. I'm telling you, just to hear John Scalinas. And he said, who is John Scalinas, I wondered. No matter what, he said, I was just happy to be there. When John Scalinos, he, he, in, in 1996, he was 78 years old and five years retired from a college coaching career that began in 1948. He shuffled to the stage to an impressive ovation, wearing dark polyester pants, a light blue shirt, and a string around his neck from which home plate hung a full-sized, stark white home plate around his neck. Seriously, I wondered, who in the world is this guy? After speaking for 25 minutes, not once mentioning the prop hanging around his neck, Coach Scalinos appeared to notice the snickering among some of the coaches. Even though who, those who knew Coach Scalinos had to wonder exactly what was going on or if he had simply forgotten about the home plate that he had put around his neck. Then finally he said, you're probably all wondering why I'm wearing home plate around my neck. Or maybe you think I escaped from a state hospital. He says, uh, I laughed along with others acknowledging the possibility, the writer says. And he quotes Galenos again. He says, I might be old, but I'm not crazy. The reason I stand before you today is to share with you baseball people what I've learned in my life and what I've learned about home plate in my 78 years. Several hands went up when Scalinos asked, how many Little League coaches do we have in the room? A bunch of hands went up. He says, do you know how wide is home plate in Little League? After a pause, someone offered 17 inches. That's right, he said. How about in Babe Ruth's day way back then? Any Babe Ruth fans in the house? Another long pause, and they said 17 inches, a guess from another reluctant coach. That's right, said Scalinos. Now, how many high school coaches do we have in the room? Hundreds of people raised their hands, and and he says, how wide is home plate in high school? Now they're getting more confident. They're like, 17 inches. He says, you're right. And you college coaches, how wide is home plate in college? 17 inches, they all said in unison. Now they're on board. Any minor league coaches in here, how wide is, how, how wide is uh, it for minor league pro ball? 17 inches. Right. Major league, anybody work with major leaguers? How much? How wide is home plate in the majors? 17 inches. 17 inches, he confirmed, his voice bellowing off the walls. And what do they do with a big league, big league pitcher who cannot throw a ball over that 17-inch wide plate? You don't play pro ball. You don't move on to the next level. If you can't hit that, the coaches don't say, well, hey, keep trying. I'll tell you what. Let's make it 24 today for your pitching practice. You're getting better. We'll take it down to 20. You can't throw a ball over that plate. You ain't playing. 
Coaches, what do we do when your best player shows up late to practice? Or when our team rules forbid facial hair or drinking and a guy gets caught drinking, do we hold him accountable? Or do we change the rules to fit him? Do we, do we widen home plate? Chuckles gradually faded as 4,000 coaches grew quiet, the fog lifting as the old coach's message began to unfold. He turned the plate toward himself and using a sharpie began to draw something. When he turned it to the crowd, point up, a house was revealed, complete with a freshly drawn door and two windows. This is the problem in our homes today with our marriages, the way we parent our kids with our discipline. We don't teach accountability to our kids and there's no consequences for failing to meet standards. We just widen the plate. Then to the point at the top of the house, he added a small American flag and he said, this is the problem in our schools today. Quality of edu our education is going downhill fast. Teachers have been stripped of the tools they need to be successful and educate and discipline our young people. We're allowing others to widen the home plate. And where is that getting us? He replaced the flag with a cross. And he said, this is the problem in the church where powerful people in positions of authority have taken advantage of young children only to have such atrocity swept under the rug for years. Our church leaders are widening home plate for themselves and we allow it. If it was in 96, they would have cut him off in 2022. You wouldn't even still be talking. So the same is true with our government. Our so-called representatives make rules for us they don't apply to themselves. They take bribes from lobbyists in foreign countries. They no longer serve us. We allow them to widen home plate, and we see our country falling into a dark abyss while we watch. He said, I was amazed at a baseball convention where I expected to learn something about curveballs and bunting and how to run better practices. I learned something far more valuable. From an old man with home plate strung around his neck, I learned something about life, about myself, about my own weaknesses and my responsibilities as a leader and as a Christian. I had to hold myself and others accountable to that which I knew to be right, lest our families, our faith, and our society go down an undesirable path. If I'm lucky, Coach Scalinos concluded, you'll all remember one thing from this old coach today. It's this, if we fail to hold ourselves to a higher standard, a standard of what we know to be right, if we fail to hold our spouses and our children to the same standards, if we're unwilling or unable to provide a consequence when they do not meet that standard, and if our schools, churches, and government fail to hold themselves accountable to those whom they serve, there's but one thing to look forward to. With that, he held home plate in front of his chest and turned it around to reveal its dark black backside. And he said, we have dark days ahead. Coach Scalinos died in 2009 at the age of 91, but not before touching the lives of hundreds of players and coaches, including mine. Meeting him at my first ABCA convention kept me returning year after year, looking for similar wisdom and inspiration from other coaches. He's the best clinic speaker ABCA has ever known because he was so much more than a baseball coach. His message was clear, coaches keep your players no matter how good they are, your own children, your churches, your government, and most of all, keep yourselves at 17 inches. Don't widen the plate. You see, adding one small inch to home plate does not seem like a big deal. 17 to 18 inches, it's not a big deal. 
But next year, it might be two inches. The year after, it might be three inches. And eventually, you might just say, let's play without a plate altogether. Yeah, I'm talking about baseball, mental fields, but I think you get the, the lesson, the application. Today, it might feel only like a field of lentils. It's not worth the fight. The kids are starting to push back on things, and the people in your life are saying, that's not a big deal. That's a job saying stuff, and you're just like, ah, I feel like I'm just standing countercultural all the time, and even my own kids are, are asking me questions, and ah, oh, I just wonder, is it even worth fighting for? Is that a huge thing? I know that is, but is that a huge thing? And just, we can start to justify. There's certain battles not worth taking on. But if I could stand here this morning and just encourage you to hold your say no I started walking this way and God gave me promises and I, and I determined I was going to live a life of commitment and consecration and the world might be shifting and schools might be changing and I, my kids might be pushing me on things but I'm going to hold my ground yeah but it doesn't seem like anybody else is really doing that Shama looked around nobody there but he said this was given to me this is a promise from God it doesn't matter who else is doing it or not doing it I determined to live this way I determined this consecration this commitment I determined that this was worth fighting for I determined that this was worth dying for and so for me, like Joshua said, he looked at people that were on the verge of compromise, thinking about things. He said, listen, I'm old, I'm getting ready to die. But he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so there has to be a decision where some, some Christians say today, I will not compromise. I, I'm going to keep fighting. It's more than just a shot of alcohol. It's more than just a haircut. It's more than a one-night stand, more than a kiss, more than a puff, more than just a phone call exchanging a text message. It's more than just a prayer meeting. It's, 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 it's more than just a white lie. It's more than just one service. The enemy wants you and your family for a reason. He, he's, he wants the lentil field that you're standing on because he knows if you won't fight for the lentil field today that he's eventually going to make his way into your home and sit with you in your living room. And so there's got to be some people that say, the plate needs to stay at 17 inches. Not 18, it needs to stay at 17. And, and, and this lentil field is something I'm willing to die on because I refuse to give my enemy one inch. I refuse to let the bully trip me in the hallway again. As for me and my house, we're going to fight. And, I'm, and I'm, if I fight alone, then I fight alone. And I invite you right now to find a place to pray and determine what you're willing still to fight for today. To find a place and determine what you're, you're going to talk to God about and say, what am I still willing to fight for? What still matters to me? What's up for negotiation and what is something that's non-negotiable? I'll tell you what, as for me and my house, I'm, I'm willing to die on this land because there's some things that I started walking. I started walking this truth long ago and I, I ain't about to give it up right here at the finish line. I'm going to keep fighting. I've been 
就。